0: I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse, Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, a kilogram of wheat for a day's wages and three kilograms of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hidden caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, Today... uh, Uh, Let let me pray uh, for us as we try to understand uh, this part of God's word for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that uh, you make yourself known to us, uh, and Father, that what we we most need to know in life, you reveal clearly to us. Uh, We rejoice uh, in that. Thank you that you have made yourself known through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that Uh, As we uh, read uh, today of of his work to make us secure in Christ forever, we pray that we would rejoice in him. So please help us to understand, give us uh, good concentration, receptive hearts, but most of all we pray uh, that by your spirit you'll be working uh, deeply within us that we might be a changed people. For we ask this in your name, amen. Uh, just imagine for a moment that the whole globe enters into blackouts. Total blackouts. Not just a local power cut, but, but globally. Uh, and with that, no mobile signal, no banks, no internet, no TV, no emergency services, nothing. Everything stops like that. One moment well i'm sure within hours after the initial novelty has worn off panic starts to break out and then serious panic as teenagers mobile phones that was um, rather <laughs> 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 a little a little uh, anyway uh, a panic uh, you know kind of governments plunged into chaos, mass riots, looting everywhere, people hoarding toilet rolls, a breakdown of rules, fuel runs out, carnage everywhere, what would you do? What would you do? Well, uh, this is a premise of an increasing number of people, particularly since the pandemic, that have been preparing for. They are called the apocalypse preppers, and uh, here are some. Uh, there they are outside their bunker, uh, and uh, they are a great group of people. Uh, uh, I'm told that they are, uh, well, mostly American billionaires from Silicon Valley, but uh, that might just be um, uh, a particular opinion. They've, they've got the money to kind of stock up their, their bunker in the desert. Uh, this one here in California is a, a former nuclear uh, silo. It's 14 stories deep. Okay, uh, and uh, it's fully stocked with everything they should need in the case of that sort of uh, situation. It's, it's a growing industry. Uh, if you're thinking, mm, maybe there's some wisdom in that, I'd quite like to join in with it. Um, well, there's uh, a shop just opened in Bedfordshire. Uh, you can go and buy all that you need. Uh, there are three million preppers in the U.S. alone at the moment. Uh, Tom Leonard, in the Daily Mail, he described him brilliantly. He said there were bored nerds who long for adventure, who fantasize about a future in which there'll be a cross between Mad Max and Hugh fernley Whittingstone. <laughs> but, ladies and gentlemen, here are the people who will repopulate our world. <laughs> That's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, how do you prepare for Apocalypse. How do you prepare for apocalypse? That's the question. And today, we've we've just read, haven't we, as we've met the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the famous horsemen. So surely, Revelation will tell us. Well, uh, prepping doesn't involve hoarding uh, guns and food and all the rest of it. It is about remembering the central message of the book of Revelation. And remember that as we've seen that over the last few weeks, the central message of the book of Revelation is this it's okay. If you're a Christian, it's okay. Whatever's going on in this world, whatever happens, God is on the throne and he's bringing everything to an end. And he's going to do that through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're in him, you're safe. It's okay. That's what the book of Revelation is about. I remember back in chapter four we looked at last week, John saw this vision of the throne uh, of heaven. God is seated on the throne. He's in control. And in chapter five, we saw, didn't we, a, uh, this mysterious scroll with seven seals, which I suggested to you then was uh, a, a scroll that contains all God's plans for human history, uh, plans both for judgment, yes, but also for salvation. It's the scroll of destiny now in chapter 5 no one can be found worthy to open that scroll but then in the vision someone is found one who is worthy who can do the job and it's the lamb the lamb who was slain jesus christ because he's died and he's risen uh, he's the one who can accomplish god's plan for the world And that is great news because it means that what we're going through in this world is not in vain. If you're trusting as a Christian in Jesus, it's worth it, keep going. Because Jesus will move forward history to its conclusion. He will do that. There is a great day of justice that will come. A new heaven and a new earth will be established under his perfect rule. It's not in vain. But by the end of chapter five, the lamb has taken this scroll, but it's in his hands, but he hasn't yet opened it. And chapter six and chapter seven and the very beginning of chapter eight, Jesus starts to open those seals as he opens uh, the scroll. Now, before we launch into chapter six, there's something I kind of just need to help us with, and that is around the structure of Revelation. Now, you know, I remember the first time as a teenager reading uh, Revelation and just being bewildered, confused, and, and, and if I'm honest, a little bit scared. Okay, uh, and that's partly because I thought that Revelation worked something like this. Okay, uh, that that you know, kind of here was a, a book that was written when the Bible was written in the first century, and then kind of after this sort of introduction, it then kind of you know at some point spoke about a time that might, you might call the end times when a series of events would, would happen that are described in Revelation one after another that would precede the, kind of the coming of Jesus and, and uh, the new creation, kind of something like that. Uh, so in other words, I kind of read it chronologically because sort of this happened and then that will happen and that will happen. And, and many through the ages have done uh, thought about Revelation like that. Uh, boy, did they get excited in 1666 because you've got 1,000 and 666 brought into one year. Um, but no, that's, this is not how we're to read it. It's completely wrong, uh, as we'll see. Uh, thank goodness we're not left looking for kind of signs that might appear, now, actually, we need to think of it more like this, and, um, and uh, as we'll see, hopefully, this will kind of make more sense as we go through the book. Uh, rather, than, uh, rather than kind of a, uh, a book that describes one thing after another, we have a book that has a, a, an introduction, if you like, and a glorious conclusion, but in between are these overlapping sections. And these sections describe the whole of time between Jesus' resurrection and ascension uh, in the first century and his return, whenever that will be. And, and these, these different sections look at history, but from different angles, like different camera angles. So, you know, you think of you know watching watching the rugby, you might see. Um, a, a, a glorious uh, try And, you, and you, sh- you show it from one angle And then you see it again from a different angle did, did the ball cross the line? You look at another angle What were the defenders doing? And all Different angles help tell the story And this is what Revelation is doing for us uh, the, the, the story told with different emphases uh, So rather than one after each other These visions They're like one on top of each other uh, just with uh, the same scene, just a different perspective. And therefore, they're to help us interpret the now in the light of the future to come. Now, in chapters uh, 6 to 16, uh, there are these four sets of sevens, of uh, visions. There's the seven seals that we're going to look at today then we'll come across the seven trumpets then there are seven visions they're they're not numbered like the the the, the trumpets and the seals are but there are seven of them and then uh, the seven bowls and they're they're numbered uh, before we get to uh, the wonderful conclusion where evil is brought to an end and a new creation uh, brought about that's the structure uh, of Revelation now now let's turn to chapter 6 and we'll look at the first of those uh, sections, the seven seals. And The first thing I want us to see is uh, in chapter 6, we're to be patient, we're to be patient because there will be a great suffering in every age. Now there's, look, there's an outline on the, the notice sheet and a, and a little picture of, uh, of kind of how these, uh, these kind of seals fit together. Let me read verse 1. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as conqueror, bent on conquest. Now, as Jesus opens this first seal on the scroll, Uh, God's purposes for the world, remember, are being fulfilled, and we're introduced then to this rider on a white horse. It's the first of the four horsemen. Um, Now, uh, some commentators think that this uh, first uh, horse represents Christ at work in the world because white is a picture of purity. And yes, in chapter 19, we will meet Jesus, clearly Jesus, on a white horse. But when you take the four horsemen as a whole... I just don't think that makes sense, okay? Uh, Rather, I think we're to see how these four horsemen describe the world that we live in, in the present, and we're to see the great suffering that they unleash. And firstly, this this rider on the white horse, we're told he's bent on conquest. Or maybe he represents imperial aggression, and goodness, we've seen that horseman riding the world, haven't we, Uh, still today. But I think I'm uh, persuaded by the view that actually uh, this white horseman represents those who mimic Christ and his rule. Uh, they're seeking to claim followers of their own. I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, verse three, then the lamb opened the second seal and I heard the living creature say, come, and another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And so this horseman is unleashed and nation will rise up against nation. War, bloodshed will follow. There are countless innocents caught up in in the clash of armies. And of course, this isn't just at a national level. There's murder on the streets, revolution, civil war, terrorism we don't have to look hard to discern this horseman at work either do in our world from Afghanistan to Israel and Gaza to Ukraine next comes a black horse verse 5 not a beauty though now it's rider is holding a pair of scales in its hands now this rider brings economic depression and famine now, in the ancient world, uh, scales uh, were used when, when food was scarce. Yeah, eat, eat, food was rationed. Each person uh, had uh, you know, a, an allotment of food weighed on the scale. So, so verse 6, uh, then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures saying a kilogram of wheat for a day's wages and three kilograms of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine." So, in this cost of living crisis, it means that, that, that food will be available, but only just enough to live on, and it will cost the family all their wages. There'll be nothing left for anything else like wine or oil. And again, once again, it's, it's see this horse, don't we, at work in our world? At every age he's been present, hasn't he? And then finally, verse 8 the most sinister of the horsemen. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. His rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him and they were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague by the wild beasts of the earth. Now look, we're not gonna leave church today and see a pale horse trotting down Hardwick Mount. Okay, uh, we're not, we're not, to see these bit like in Lord of the Rings as the, the ring wraiths, these horses that out trying to, trying to get us. These, these horses describe our, our world and its suffering and its evil and its brokenness and its death. But, but here in this, this last horse, we, we see a, a foe that none can escape. We might escape war, we might escape famine, but we won't escape this horse. In, in uh, This horse is, is there. Uh, Followed by Hades, remember that's the place of the dead. Gathering up people, uh, swallowed up into death. You know, that's why he comes last. He comes in the wake of war and famine and killing. Well, what are we to make of all this? Well, we're not to think that these things describe a future event when a climactic kind of confrontation kind of comes upon the world. Why not? Well, because of what Jesus teaches. So keep your finger in in Revelation 6, but turn with me to Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 24, page 993. Jesus uh, teaching his disciples about the destruction of the temple. Uh, Verse 3. 24, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and I will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. And if you see there, you know, Jesus is telling his disciples you know, that, that these things are the now in the present, not the end. They're, they're birth pains, he calls them. In other words, they're signs that something bigger Uh, and greater, and more complete is coming, the the, the day of judgment, But, but this is the world that we live in, and notice as well the parallel between what Jesus says there and the four horsemen, so we've got those who mimic Christ, wars, nation against nation, famine, earthquakes, and death. And so we're to look around our world uh, and uh, as we see God handing the world over to its sin, a a world under the curse of God, there is suffering, evil, hardship, and death. And that is, if like, exploration for this world. Notice, uh, if you turn back to Revelation chapter six, uh, verse four Uh, We're told that God is sovereign over all this. Uh, All those who ride out to bring destruction not only do so, uh, do so only because of divine power. Its rider was given power. Given power by whom? Uh, By the one opening the seals. Now look, this raises a big question and um, I'm not going to deal with it Uh, This week, there's enough to say this week. But that question, I'm sure lots are thinking, well, how how can God allow this? And that's an important question, but but for the moment, we're not given an answer to that. In this world, God is bringing about his purposes. Now, uh, Jesus isn't responsible for these things, but they fall within his sovereign control. And the point is this spiritual forces of evil will bring about suffering and injustice in this world from the first century in the 21st century until the end and it will affect both believers and unbelievers alike that's the lesson isn't it and this is why we see the response in, in when the fifth seal is opened Uh, Here the pattern shifts. We no longer have uh, another horse. Uh, Each of these seven sections, each begin with a four and then have three that follow. But more of that as we come along. But uh, here we have a vision of those who are killed for standing firm in the faith. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw that under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And I guess many of us will will, will share something of of their cry. We, We see injustice, we see bloodshed and evil, we see what's going on in this world and we rightly cry out to God, How long? How long until you write wrong? Please Lord, restore your world. Bring justice, Lord. And and then in this vision that that, that the martyrs, they're crying out to God for uh, for justice in the world. And of course it is tragic, isn't it, when we see uh, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, around the world being killed for their faith uh, in him. And we might be tempted to say, well of course, those who have died for the faith, because they stood firm, they've they've made the ultimate sacrifice. But notice, they're not. Okay, they're not on the altar. Notice where they are. They're They're not on the altar as a sacrifice to God, but they're under the altar. And I think that's important, why? Because yes, they've sacrificed themselves for the faith, but they're not the sacrifice. No, they're under the sacrifice that the one who has lived and died, the lamb slain for them. And what they and we too are to do, verse 11, in this world, well, verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. What are we to do? Wait. Wait a little longer. God's purposes will be fulfilled. His timing is good and right. The lamb has conquered his death and his resurrection are central in history and and they will bring about God's purposes for the world. Uh, Salvation is secured. Judgment will come. But as we wait, keep trusting Jesus. Be patient. Yes, there will be suffering in this world. Keep waiting on God. Christians will suffer and die, sometimes horrifically, sometimes in in ways we can't comprehend. We're to wait. Trust Jesus. In his time, uh, he will bring about his purposes. And as we wait, what will happen? The, The gospel will be proclaimed and spread throughout the nations until the whole number of people of God are gathered. And then, Verse 12, the sixth seal is opened, where we see destinies coming to a head. I watched, and as he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks and the mountains. They called to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? And again, this is language from from, from Matthew twenty four, isn't it? The great and terrible day of the Lord, when the final judgment will come, and the wrath of the Lamb will be displayed. And in verse fifteen, all humanity is represented here, from kings to slaves, there will be no escape. And notice there are only two places you can hide. You can hide from the Lamb, from his wrath. Uh, As he comes in judgment, you can hide under the mountains even. You can even rather have the mountains fall on you than face the justice of God. When the depth uh, and wickedness of uh, of human sin is revealed, God's holiness is displayed in power. That is an extraordinary vision, isn't it? Or where else can you hide? Well, not from the lamb, but under the lamb. Uh, under his great sacrifice, who can stand before the lamb? That is the great question. Those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have their sin forgiven, who have been made pure in Christ, washed white without stain, they experience not the wrath of the lamb, but a wonderful security in him. Isn't that good news? A wonderful security in him. Where will you hide? And because of that, Uh, Verses seven, chapter seven, verses one to nine, just briefly, we can have great security. Great security. Because we can't be confident in ourselves. Because we're not fit to stand before the lamb on the last day when he sees all the secrets of our hearts. But we can stand in his presence, which is the point of chapter seven. Now chapter seven is a little interlude uh, that comes before the, the, the seventh seal is opened in chapter eight, verse one, uh, when uh, God brings about the, the consummation of His purposes. But, but in chapter seven, we're given this wonderful picture of what God is doing. Uh, just uh, look with me at verse nine, uh, we're told, "A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the." in front of the lamb so you can stand before the lamb you see that a great multitude are standing there how can they stand because they've been covered by the lamb and will not face his wrath and so jesus as he goes to his death as he goes to the cross to bore the wrath of god for our sins so that we might not face it on that great and terrible day and that is a wonderful assurance for us. Uh, and so, as we patiently wait as the gospel goes out for Christ to return, even in the midst of suffering in this world, even as brothers and sisters in Christ are killed, yet we can know complete security. Uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 3, uh, we're told that they're sealed as belonging to God. Verse 3, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now this is a a glorious picture, isn't it? A glorious picture. Um, And... Uh, Of course, uh, unlike the Jehovah's Witnesses, we're not to take this literally as as they have done and then had a major problem when they had more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, but leave that aside. Of course, it's a symbolic number of a a great people. No one can count. And and of course, we're meant to see, aren't we, the great promises made to Abraham and Jacob. uh, They're being fulfilled here, aren't they? Descendants, uh, more numerous than the stars of the sky, the sand on the seashore. A global family from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. And we're going to come back to this next week. Do come if you can. We're going to have Robbie and Lizzie Bellis from Belgium who are going to be with us. Here we're going to have a little foretaste of a church from different languages, different nations before us. And this is the vision we're to hold before us. Because this is a heavenly reality. A preview of the new creation when Christ returns. Well, uh, how are we to prepare for the apocalypse? Well, firstly, we're to uh, recognize now is the apocalypse, not later. This is going on in the world. Secondly, hide yourself, not in an underground bunker in the mountains, But in chapter six, verse 15, under the lamb, under the lamb, today, and this is good news, good news for you today to call and to trust Jesus to experience his grace and his favor, his love and his acceptance, and to have no fear, no fear of that final day, because your sin is paid for. You are sealed his And yes, there will be suffering in this world. God doesn't protect his people from all harm, but but he keeps you safe and secure in him. There is a great security in a world uh, of conflict, suffering, evil, and injustice. And into that we're to put our hope. Let me pray.